Yeah, we just, me and my brothers, we, we got new bikes, seemed like every year. At first it was two of us, then it went to three. Next thing you know, it was four. Next thing you know, it was six of us. And, and we had all brothers, no sisters. So you know, we had a blast. <laughs> well, you Marshall in the middle. Can you hear me? Curtis Verge, everybody. I love you, man. What's going on? How you doing? Hey, that's my guide on behind you, man. What are you doing with my guide on? It's, it's got my name on it. You're the man, dude. I love you, buddy. <laughs> I said I was going to do it because I know you was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Colonel Bodine says hello. He told me to make sure that, that I said hello. He loves you, man. All right. <laughs> hey, so... Tell me what's going on with you, man. Look at you. Look at you, man. You got his shirt on. What's this starting first class Verge stuff, man? First of fire. First, first of fire. That 108. 108 brigade. Woo! I love it, man. That's my whole time when I was with Sergeant Major Adams. You know, oh. He, he was my favorite. Hey, isn't there so I so look, I've had an opportunity to talk to him a couple times and, and be around him a little bit. It, it, isn't it really neat how he listened, right? Didn't he yeah. listen? Yeah, yeah. That's one thing I loved about him. He listened and then, you know, he never chewed, I never seen him chew out a soldier. It was always ECOs because he, 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 and I learned from that. Never chew up a soldier. It's always the NCO. Maybe the soldier might did wrong, but that NCO didn't train him right. That's what I learned from him. Where are you from, man? I know you're a big Cowboys fan. You got to be from Texas, right? You see all that Cowboy stuff on the wall? You've, dude, you've always been like the Cowboy Mafia, dude. You've always been the Cowboy guy. Everybody knows Burgess Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm from Marshall, Texas. Just right down the street from, from Dallas. That's great. That's but, great. You know, I was born in Marshall, then we, I, we grew up in, in Houston and everywhere else, but Marshall is my hometown. My brothers, the two of my brothers still live there. Tell me about growing up, man. What, what year were you born? Man, I was born in 1960, way back. <laughs> what was right. it like? What was it like? I mean, you know, like I, I was born in 68. So I was bicycle, streetlights, neighborhood, suburbs. Oh, yeah. yeah, we just, me and my brothers, we, we got new bikes, seemed like every year. At first, it was two of us. Then it went to three. Next thing you know, it was four. Next thing you know, it was six of us. And we had all brothers, no sisters. So you know, we had a blast. <laughs> were, you the, were you the oldest, youngest? Where were you at in that? I was next to the oldest. Yeah, we got, I got a brother that's 12 years younger than me. So what kind of antics did y'all get into? Did y'all get any trouble when you were a kid? Oh man, we used to fight like cats and dogs, but we loved each other, boy. Nobody else couldn't mess with us. <laughs> you ever, you ever remember getting a, your brother giving you a black eye or a bloody nose, and you having to, having to, you know, be the one that got beat up? No, no, no. They were scared of me. Oh really? You, you, yeah. you get them, huh? Yeah, my oldest brother used to call me and say, "You better leave me alone. I'm gonna get my big brother on you." <laughs> I, but I was a little brother. 
I can't imagine you being being that guy. You're such a gentle giant, right? Uh, I tell people all the time, if they knew me back when I was a little kid, oh, I was treacherous. Really? Tell me a story about how you were treacherous. What did you do one time? Tell me the one. Uh, my, my brother said that uh, I was the first version of a bullet. Yeah, I, I was just terrible. I, I, you know, I had to just jump on people for no reason at all back then. Is that true? Would you do that? Would you just like jump on people and start whooping them up? Oh, yeah. This one guy, I'm going to tell you the one that, that I can always remember. It was one guy, he was a friend of ours, but he knew I was going to try to get him. So he was walking up the street by a house and he saw me standing in the screen door. So he started running. So I started running behind him. So I kind of like followed him for a little while and he finally just gave up and just fell in the yard. He said, you just got to beat me up because I ain't running no more. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was crazy back when. It, I tell people all the time, they knew me when I was a little kid. They just wouldn't believe I'm the same person. That's something that's something that's kind of amazing about you. Uh, you were always known, at least to me anyway, as like so gentle, so understanding so loving but yet you're always so big right i can't imagine you being a uh fisticuff thrower you'd have hurt somebody bad right man i sometimes today i still have just walk away i see people do stuff and i was like man just get in your car and go home <laughs> so do, do you remember uh being good in school or being bad in school or having a particular crush on somebody or anything like that from those days in elementary school, I was, I was just terrible. I'm telling you, all the teachers hate. They didn't want me to be in their class. I got in trouble for putting thumbtacks in student seats and all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I got in a fight when I was in the when I when I, when I was in the sixth fifth grade. I played on the sixth grade basketball team. So one of the guys just kept bugging me about this female that I didn't like and said that was my girlfriend and all that. We got into a fight and I knew how he was. So when I got him in a headlock, he wasn't getting out. So when we went to the principal's office, I still had him in a headlock. <laughs> so the principal told me, called my mom and said, Miss Burge, I can't do nothing with Curtis. You got to come get him. So my mom came out there and just gave me one of them four arms across the head and I let him go. But I know she wasn't going to let him get me. <laughs> yeah, she, 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 she know I, I wasn't messing with her, but she know once she came, they, they knew I was going to be straight after she came. So your mama would get you straight, huh? Oh, my mom used to beat me like a stepchild. <laughs> I thought I was a stepchild for a long time where she used to beat me. <laughs> did you deserve it i did i tell anybody i i i, just, I did stuff that i knew i was gonna get in trouble for well so i was just telling my grandson today and like he kicked the soccer ball and broke my light by my garage and i told him you're gonna pay for that garage next time you cut grass you ain't gonna get paid but i told him my mom did me that way we had a we had a glass door on the front door and me and my brother got into a fight and he ran in the house and locked me out. So I took my fist and punched the window out and went in and got him. And my mom made me pay for that. I didn't have no lunch money for a long time. <laughs> she made me pay for that window. <laughs>
So but tell was, me, tell me about money. Were you, were you guys, you know, poor or did you have enough to get by? Did you have to scrape for food or, you know, anything like that? No, nah, you know, my mom and dad worked, both of them worked. So we never went without stuff. We was, even when it was six of us, we never went without. Like Christmas was my dad's favorite holiday. He bought so much stuff for Christmas. It was ridiculous. And now I started doing the same stuff. Like I had to cut myself back now because my kids are 34 and 38 years old. They don't need any of that junk no more. So, and I had to cut myself off from buying all that stuff. Because that was a holiday we just loved to do stuff with. But we know we never was, we never heard from money. My, so my, my how dad worked, I was, I was telling a guy yesterday, my dad worked, he was 71, and I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. So as soon as he stopped working, then you could see he was getting to him. He, he couldn't stand being at that house all day. I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. But yeah, so, we, we, we were good. So tell me about joining the Army and what, what, made, you, what made you decide to come in the Army? But back when I was back back then, I was you know I was uh, I was working on the job. I was making good money, but uh, at the time, they our plant closed down that I was working in, and then we moved to another state to work. And I stayed. My wife stayed there, and I was going back. But when they was opening the new the plant back up, they was looking for a plant manager because they left the other plant manager out there. So I know guys that had been there for 20, 25, 30 years, and they didn't even offer them a job. I was like, man, I got to go back to school. Because I can't, I can't do this my whole life. And there was just no future in it at all. I was like, man, I just went home and told my wife, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go join the Army. So I got to go back to school. And that's what it was. It was just for me to get my education. I was only planning on doing six, seven years and finishing my school. But I, I was getting promoted so fast, I was like, man, I can't get out now. Because I think, I think Chief Hank is out. I was hitting nine years. And Mr. Abden that worked for Raytheon was going to hire me right as soon as I got out. So I was like, man, I might as well just get out. I'm going to finish my school and go to work for Raytheon. And Mr. Hankins, Chief Hankins told me, he said, Burge, don't do it. He said, if they want you now, when you get your 20 years in, then go to work for them. And you, you're going to get that retirement coming in, then that money from them. So don't do it. He talked me out of And then he made me fill out a, a warrant off package. I was like, and then when I made E7, I made E7 right after he filled out the warrant pack. And I went in his office and shredded the warrant pack. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, uh, first of all, I don't work on radars. <laughs> he told me, he said, boy, you ain't changed a bit. <laughs> but I used to hate to work on that radar, man. That was one thing that convinced me not to be a warrant officer. And now, you know, looking back on it, all the guys that put in a warrant packet at that time made CW-5. And back then, there wasn't no such thing as a CW-5. If you made three, you was good. I like, I'd rather just be a first one than to be a CW3. So that's what it went. But that, my main reason to come in the Army, though, was to go back to school. I, didn't, I never wanted my kids to come back and say, 
I ain't going to school. You didn't graduate from college. So, but I never want them to throw that back in my face. So that was my main goal to get back in school. And it was make a better life for them too. Just the town we were living in, Marshall, was 25,000 people. But it just wasn't nothing there. And I knew once I joined the military, they could get away and it'd be a better for them when they grow up. So. So how, so how old were you? And I guess you were married with two children when you joined the army. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I had my, my oldest, my youngest daughter was like maybe a year. She wasn't even a year yet. And I was, I was 28 years old. And everybody, when I went to basic and AIT, they were like, man, you too old. You ain't gonna make it. I was like, and that made me even push myself even harder to show them I could do it. I remember my first run in basic training, we did a mile run. I ran like a six minute mile. And he was like, you can't be 28 years old. I was like, but I tell people these days I was better shape than I was out the army than I was in the army. <laughs> but yeah, that's that was the main reason to, to uh, I was, Everybody thought I wasn't going to do it. I mean, even, even the guys where I used to go get my hair cut at, me and my dad would go in there to get our hair cut on Saturday. He's like, boy, you can't make it in the woman I'm going to know 28 years old. I said, Mr. Fisher, I can, I'm not, I can do anything I want to do. So joining the Army ain't going to be nothing. Then once I got in, it was like a different story. <laughs> I remember my first time, as soon as I got in, that was right out like a year or two after that, that's when Desert Storm started. And I was like, what in the world did I get myself into? Because <laughs> I remember pulling in the gates of Cobra Tower and all those tanks and those 60s on top of them and 50 cows and, and we and they made us patrol the street. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't think I just screwed up getting this army life. <laughs> but then it was just, everything went just like, Clockwork after that, man. I wasn't even scared to go back over there to war or anything because once I learned everything, it was just a breeze. Isn't it interesting? Your first deployment, the unknown, right? The very first time, it's scary, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I had I was in Cal Scott at the beginning, and I going to Haiti was one of my scariest ones. But after that, and there's a storm. I was like, this is a breeze, man. This is the easiest stuff I ever did in my life. <laughs> and I used to hear people complain all the time. I'm like, what are they complaining about? Man, I ain't, you go out there in the real world and work 16 hours when you're getting off at five o'clock every day. I'm like, if you ain't in war, you ain't, it's just, just a breeze. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, the army, you know, 90% of the time, we were just standing around looking at each other. You know, standing around yeah. looking at each other, waiting for something to happen. My granddaughter, he, she's trying to get in on the thing. Look, see. Hey there. Hey there. <laughs> she want to ask me. So what you going to ask me? Oh, yeah. I get she wants some candy. I'll get you for you later. <laughs> oh, I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so what's her name? That's Miss Kaylin. Hey, Miss Kaylin. Now she's trying to reach from behind and wait. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, this is this is who who this interview is for, right? It's for her. It's for 
It's for your loved ones, right? It's, it's to try to document your story and try to document your time in the service. And, you know, talk about all the, the people you were around and the folks you might have, have been influenced by. You know, you already talked about Command Sergeant Major Adams. Tell me about another mentor of yours. I had a, quite a few of them. You know, uh, what's the name was one of them, uh, Sergeant Major DeVault. He was one of my favorites. Uh, the other one was Sergeant Major Harper. Now, I was in 108 Brigade for 10 and a half years. In 243 for 10 and a half years, and me and Sergeant Major Harper and Sergeant Major Howell met at Boots at the car wash one Saturday. And Sergeant Major Harper didn't know I had been in 108 that long. So Sergeant Major Howell told him, you know, Virg's been in 243 108 for 10 and a half years. He said, what? Hey, man, we got to get Virg out here. We, we, we got to get Virg out here right now. Birds come to my office, man. We're gonna get you out here. So I went to his office and he had somebody come from Sixth Brigade over to 108 Brigade, and I went to Sixth Brigade, and that's how I got out of 108. Worst mistake I ever made. I think if I had stayed in 108, I would have made so amazing. Because everywhere else I went, you know, being in, in the airborne unit, it was just always the way we planted, we trained the way we planned. And everywhere, I'm telling you, 2-1, I had a hard time. 2-1, 1-4-3, I just never understood what they was doing. I mean, even when I used to go to training meetings and I used to hear them talking, and I was like, man, I need to get out of here before I just said something I know I'm not supposed to say. So, but yeah, 108, I'm telling you, I think if I had stayed in 108 Brigade, I think I would have made so I made it. Because all the guys that came there, I, some of them I had jumped with, did stuff with, as I know, that's Sergeant Major. But then, you know, after so long going to the other brigades and other battalions, just some of the Sergeant Majors, the stuff they did at Sergeant Majors, it was just really turning me off from it. I was like, because you never saw that when you was in a, when I was in 108, you just never yeah. saw any crazy stuff like that. And I'm telling you, like, you know, when I made E8, I, I really wanted to be a first on Rat off. And they kind of played around with, like, I was working for Sergeant Major Tyler at the time in 2-1. In and Sergeant Major Wetherspoon was the brigade Sergeant Major. Sergeant Major Sullivan was 143 Sergeant Major, and I was supposed to go to 143. But they, and so I made the tell it was said he couldn't find nobody to replace me in emo and, and uh, so I made the Wetherspoon was calling me and asked me when I was going to come to 143. And I'm like, you're the brigade, so I made you tell me when I'm going to 143. So, you know, one day tell it came out, I was at PT formation, but I, you know, even as E8, I still did PT with HHB. And I was in PT formation one morning. He came out and said, well, I still don't have nobody to replace. I said, listen, man, I got 19 and a half years in. I'll retire right here in the email. I can care less anymore, man. You know, I really wanted to be a sergeant major, but I dealing with the stuff y'all do, I, I just can't deal with it. So I'll stay right here in the email. I'll stay right here with Chief Maul <laughs> and retire. Because I get paid the same money they get paid, less headache. But I really wanted to be a first one as soon as I made it, though. But yeah, those are guys like Sergeant Major Harper and Sergeant Major Howe was one of them. But my but but the bear was my favorite. And you know, I, I'm gonna tell you the really the 
when he started, I was E5 when he came to 108. And he put me in everything. Like he put me in the Sergeant Mary's, uh, the Artie Murphy board. He did put me in the Airborne, I'm in the Aerosol School. He put me in Bell Staff, everything. And uh, every time some came up, he would always call me. But the one, the one that made me really love him was when he, I had two soldiers going to PLDC one year at the exact same time. And one of them, it was a female, and she barely could pass the PT test, the run. And he he would call my first line the office every day, and he said, first line, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Sergeant Verge. He said, Sergeant Verge, you're in the other room anywhere. So he would come, and I would get on the phone with him, and he would say, Sergeant Verge, hey, you, you sure you're going to pass that PT test? Because if you don't pass that PT test, you know what? I'm coming to get you. <laughs> so I said, Sergeant she got it. So. She passed the PT test, the run, and then she fell laying down. He called me as soon as he found out that she fell laying down. But it was a practice. So I had jumped in my car and went right out there. That, as soon as I got home from work that day, and went and taught McNeil how to do laying down. Because I said, you got to get through this because it's just like the PT run. So I made going to get me. But the next day she went out there and, and passed with flying clothes. And I called him and said, so I made I told she was going to do it. And after that, he was always put me, when anything came up, he would put me in. I was scoring three, 23, third on PT test. And was just, everything just went straight when I was in 108. I had first on Solomon at the time, and he was great. He was one of, the, he was one of my instructors at AIT. And he always told me everything that, was gonna come in the future, he always told me, he said, you're gonna hit them spells where you're gonna, a lot of people, your color gonna make sword major and a lot of them not gonna make it because it's just a fluctuation of leadership thing. And then he told me, he said, I know you love to play basketball, but once you hit 15 years, you better start going to sick call because that's what you're gonna get your VA out. <laughs> And after that, once I hit 15 years, everybody asked me, he said, my record was about this thick. It was about this thick. And he, everybody would ask me, man, how you get your record so thick? I said, because one of my first one told me in 15 years, you better, if your finger hurt, you better go to sitcom. And I did, because he, he was one of them that was, I actually worked, worked on this. That was one of my, uh, my mentors, sorry, first one, Solomon. But I had some platoon songs that was great too. I remember Sorry McDuffie and uh, I had a section chief named Sergeant Howard. And he was a guy that I never could understand, but I, he was always straight with everything. Like when it came to running crew drills and shooting, me and him did land, I mean, uh, combat lifesaver together. And I remember having a, I had a heat stroke in the desert. And when I had, we had did it, Mr. Reload in Mob 4. And Sergeant Howard, the medics couldn't find my vein. And had they put him in the ambulance and he rode in the ambulance with him. He pushed the medic out the way and said, I can get his vein. He just popped the red him on. So he was one of my favorites too, for Richard Howard. And then, you know, it, the funny thing about working with him, it just seemed like he never wanted to get promoted. He just loved so much of being a section chief. Cause when I passed him up and made E7 and I was his platoon sergeant, it just didn't seem right being his platoon sergeant. Cause he was my section chief. 
for so long. And he taught me everything. And I was like, man, how can I be his platoon? So he done taught me everything I know. But he, yeah, I think he, re, he, he, re, he reaches partially P. He never got promoted to E6. He, he got out as an E5. Wow. But he was a good guy, man. Me and him used to go fishing together, all kinds of stuff. We used to go fishing down there. Fort Polk, we went fishing in Sabine River, go swimming. <laughs> we did everything. And, and to this day, I cannot find out where he is. You know, I found a lot of people on that Facebook, but I can't even see Sergeant Howard being on Facebook because he's so much outdoors stuff. Because he, he, when we was in Germany, I don't know if you ever heard of pinon nuts. And pinon nuts, when we was walking through the woods training, we kept seeing him eat, picking stuff off the ground, eating it. And we were like, Son, how, what'd you eat? And he said, man, he pinon nuts. You ain't no had no. So we was out on the ground looking for pinon nuts. And we looked, turned around, he was tossing them out his bag on the ground and walking back and picking them up. <laughs> So he started me to eat pinon nuts when we was in Germany. Then we did, on holiday, we would all go to his house. And you think he was going to get some turkey and ham? Oh, you got duck. And if you went to Soren Howard house, you're going to get some duck. <laughs> but yeah, he was one of my favorite, favorite guys to work with. And I can't find him. I wish I could find him. I keep up with everybody, though. I, I talked to his uh, Weber, he was with me in Okinawa. He, but he calls me all the time when he get drunk, and I was like, "Man, I'm not else." He called me at two o'clock this weekend on Facebook Messenger. I was like, "I'm not going to talk to him tonight. I'm going to go see." <laughs> yeah, this we we had. I had a blast in my years in the military. It's a lot of stuff we did. I nice stud to go to Robinsons. Tell me about private birds. Were you a, were you a good private? Oh, I was. When I was a private, I just worked. I was a worker. I didn't care what time I went home. It, it just mattered. My wife used to tell me I was married to the army back then. I was just do anything they asked me. I was there. Like I had when I was at Fort Bliss, my first union. I had first line down. Oh Lord, have mercy! It was Downing and Baker, and them two clowns was. I was just scared of both of them. We had drill sergeant Morgan was on the hill with me. Then he came down to be our battalion sergeant major. And everybody was scared of Morgan. Morgan was, uh, I remember one time I was in private and we had went to the field and during recovery, Morgan would come inspect the motor pool on a Saturday night. It was like Saturday, we sit in the motor pool for 10 hours waiting for him to come down there. So the first thing he do when he come in the motor pool Bacon said something and he dropped one of our first arms in multiple and left. So I said, man, I better go check my vehicle one more time before he come back in here. So when he got to the vehicle next to me, he found someone on that soldier's vehicle and he went off. And I was like, man, while he was going off on this guy, I went back to check mine. I was like, man, my all low. So I went back in the back trying to find some oil before he got to my vehicle. I couldn't find no oil. So I posted the transmission fluid down the oil just to bring the level up. <laughs> so when he pulled that dipstick out though, it was it was old point. I was like, man, I, I got myself out of that one. 
we I was on our stops. Every unit I went to, they wanted to put me on our stop. And I was like, man, I'm so tired of our stop. Cause they found out I was good at it. everybody I went and they everywhere I went, they just put me on. And then when I got to be high rank, they just wanted to keep me in emo. I was like, so, but yeah, as a private, I was just working. I I, I work, work, work. My vehicle was always the best vehicle. And I always end up like being the first on drive. I don't know how I got to be the first. I hated being first on down and drive because he was just a knucklehead, but he was an old Vietnam vet, so he was off the chain. <laughs> I saw it the last time I went to El Paso, and I actually didn't call him first on his retirement. First on retired, and he said, he punched me in the side and said, if you call me on first on one more time, <laughs> I'm going to whip your butt right here in Walmart. <laughs> He did be like that a long time ago when he actually made so I made he had took over six brigade and he was at all of the graduations and I called him a first one at one of the graduations. He just he took his elbow and just popped me right in the back. I was like, what is wrong with this man? He said, You call you call me a first one one more time. I'm telling you, I'm gonna choke you in here. <laughs> but that was a good thing about him. He was old Vietnam vet, so he 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 had he had no clue about patriot, but he he was he knew how to be a soldier. That was one thing he did. Anytime we come up on tactical stuff like that, he was on it. You could tell he was one of them old old Vietnam vets. You couldn't see it that much in Bacon, but you could see it in in Downing. So I mean, Bacon was just a clown. I remember when he used to run on Fort Bliss with that protective mask on and that flag vest. He said, have me laughing every PT. Every morning when you see him run by and wait for take the match on. Like, what is wrong with this guy? But yeah, as a private though, I was I was working. I, I made rank so fast back then. It was just I didn't have I never complained when I was a private. I just worked. What was your favorite rank? My favorite rank? Probably a platoon sergeant. I, my first one was I had a good time as being a first one, but I think being a platoon sergeant was my favorite because man, I used to have so much fun with the soldiers, and I used to have so much fun with the emo because you know I knew emos so much. And when they came to evaluate me, it was always like a joke to me because I was like, and you know, one time we had a, I was in, I think Bravo two one. Yeah, I was in Bravo 2-1. I had first on Wall and uh, Captain Took. And we had another guy named Stryker. So they put me in headquarters because I was the highest ranking E7 at the time. And I was like, man, just put me in launch platoon now because I know Stryker ain't going to pass because I had evaluated so many times. And they didn't do it. They wait till we, the night before we got ready to do tape lace and the the commander came over to my, well, the first one came over to the team and said, hey, Verge, man, the commander wanted me to tell you he's going to move you over to launch platoon so you can get the paperwork stuff right. For and I went off. I mean, I went off. I went to the, because we had another warrant officer came over to our battery to help do the paperwork. Our warrant officer was in their sleep. So I didn't go yell at the warrant officer. I went and got the commander. I said, listen. Y'all want to pass these tape lace tomorrow? 
Somebody else beside me better get their boots on and go wake up that warrant officer of yours up. The commander got out. And he went across that, that. He went across that site so fast. And Walter said, "What did you say to the commander?" I said, "Listen, if you want to pass these tape lakes, you better go wake up your warrant officer." So then Striker gonna come and move his stuff into my tent, and my tent was straight. His longitude tent was towed up. And he gonna come over there and just put his bags on my cot. I don't know what I did, but I snapped and I went and drug him down range and tied him to one of them lunches and just poured hot sauce all over. <laughs> I poured hot sauce all over. First of all, I said, what'd you do with the strike? I said, he died there on lunch six. With hot sauce all over, I hope them coyotes eat him up down there. <laughs> but Burn. I don't know. Verge, you're telling me you took another grown man and drug him down range and tied his ass up to a launcher and poured hot sauce on him. Is that right? I hope that coyote eat him up down there. <laughs> he was just that sorry. He was he was a sorry character, man. I don't know how high he ever made first class, but <clears throat> I used to go evaluate him sometime and I was like, man, he ain't even looked at this paperwork. But yeah, I, I, that was one of my favorite moments. Because even though I went down there and did the paperwork, I said, all right, Emo will come out here and fell us the first time because that's the way Perez is. So I said, I, first of all, I said, well, you ain't going down range. I like I knock because I already know they're going to fail you today. So when they came up raised and they was telling me what you did, I said, all right, all right, all right, all right. I said, because I already knew you was going to fail us. So come back and see us tomorrow. We'll have it all right. But I didn't even change any paperwork. Came back and passed the next day. Like it, it started to be, that's when it started to be a joke to me. Like I done did it so many times, seeing how emo work. And even when I got, you know, after I was a first sergeant for in 2 1, when I took your place and I was in HHB first, I got to, to Okinawa and, and Dawson was like, oh, I, I, he, was, he was trying to put me in S2. And I was like, man, I just want, let me, can I just be a first sergeant? Because he let everybody else just came in. And, and at that point, I was like, man, I'm done. <laughs> if you put me in S2, I'm going to be in S2 when I leave. And I, after that, I was like, it's time for me to go. <laughs> I just know it's time for me to go. Because when, you know, after I took your place, we had a private came in and he walked in. We went to the commander's office first. And I told him, Why did you, what did you need from the commander? He was like, he had a stress card. I can't remember his name. So I went and asked, so I made the item. I said, have you heard about this stress card thing? He was like, yep, we got to honor it. I was like, I went back to my office and I laughed so hard. <laughs> I couldn't let the soldier come in until I stopped laughing. So once I stopped laughing, I told him, come on in, man. I said, so I made him say, I got it on it. So what you want me to do with it? He said, I just need some time off first. <laughs> I think it was, I don't know if they ever told you, but we had two of them that stole a plane. No, tell me, tell me. Right before one of the deployments, they threw up a stolen plane and they they landed it in the middle of a street. It wasn't Bib, was it? 
No, I can't think of their name because we know we changed their name after they did it. We called them the Wright Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of them is still in the military, but they, they, they had them come out and they, they was getting ready to deploy and they came on the plane and got them. And that's when we found out that they landed the plane in the middle of the street. Stole the airplane from Harker Heights Airport and flew it, and they didn't know how to land it, so they landed in the middle of the street. Told people mailboxes up and all kinds of stuff. And then we started calling them the Wright Brothers. <laughs> so I don't even remember their name, because that's why I just remember the Wright Brothers. <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me, what was there ever a time you, you, uh, you know, you had like a, a ethical dilemma that you had to, you like choose choose one way or another. You ever remember anything like that? I had quite a few of them. I had quite a few of them. Like, you know, one time we was we was doing a miss. We did a miss. That's the time I had the heat stroke. We had uh, we got stuck in the desert. I did. It was a round. We was in, in in Saudi Arabia, and we had live missiles. So we had to unlock the talk to Hamas for real when we did the training. So when we got ready, we had been, we had we, we did a night move, then we came in that morning, we didn't even sit up tents, we just put up nets and then we went straight down and did the reload. So when we did finish the reload, they called March up. I'm still in month four. So my section chief said, you take down the net and I'll bring down the system. So he brought the system down. Okay, we got everything down, got everything packed up and then we started pulling off and we got stuck. So the wrecker had to come pull us out. So when the wrecker started jerking us, we didn't get out and we got stuck again. And he started, had to jerk us again. So one of the mechanics, came up to me and said, Merge, is the missile supposed to be sticking out? I said, heck no. Man, let's get out of here. I grabbed my weapon, LBE, and my section chief jumped out of the truck and we were just hauling it, getting as far away as we could because that's what we was trained to do. <laughs> but it, and when we got to the street, I, I could hear everybody but I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't, it was just blackout. So I felt the medics cutting my shirt off. And that's the time when I was telling you that he he found my uh, vein because they was on the way to the hospital and nobody could find the vein. They went and stuck me in this tub of ice, no clothes on, I was about to freeze to death. But anyway, the main thing with that made it a dilemma was like that whole week I was at parade rest in somebody's office. And you know, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but me and Son Howard was so close. I just couldn't let him go down by itself. I, whatever they said, I was just all right, all right. Well, and they gave us a letter of reprimand, but I was not gonna let him go down by itself. But we was just, he was just, we were just that close as a crew. And I know he didn't, he brought down the system and he didn't like to talk to handles. But I couldn't tell them that because I just couldn't see him getting in trouble by himself. So that was one of my major dilemmas my whole time. And it, it, so 
I had a soil major tell me it might have been one of the reasons I didn't make soil major. I was like, man, I really don't care. I always tell people, you know, when I didn't make soil major, the good Lord just knew what he was doing, not making me a soil major, because I just saw so much crazy stuff that it, it probably wouldn't have been good if I was a soil major. But that was one of my dilemmas that I couldn't let him go down by itself. I just, I just couldn't do it. I, I went home to my room and prayed and prayed. And I was like, man, I can't do it to Rich. And he was like, no, Rich, you just gotta go. And I don't want you to get in trouble. I was like, I can't do it, man. Like me and you two, we, been, we done been through too much stuff, man. So but yeah, that was my dilemma. And the only thing I, I just couldn't do it. So brag on one of your soldiers or some of your soldiers uh, for me. Tell me about the people you you mentored and trained that have been successful. Do you, can you think of some 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 names? Well, I got a whole lot of them. I had one of my soldiers. He he every time he went to the board for soldier of the year, NCO of the year, he always won. It's, I had two of them like that. Sean Christopher and uh the other one's name was Ed Taraldi. But those guys was like they they trained. You know, we trained a lot, but we did a lot of studying just like on, on Saturdays was one of my things to go to the shop at and I would help guys study that was either going to the board or going to a soldier quarter board. And when I went in there with Itaraldi, it was that was the first time I ever seen a soldier that did a board that perfect. I would, I had never saw it before. But they was one, they was good guys though. I think Son Christopher made for, first sign. He was the first one in three, four, three. But I had two guys made, so I made. Uh, we had one together. You remember Hernandez? He was one of me. He was one of my favorite platoon signs that, that I had, because I never had any issues with it. And then, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Was you know she was one of my favorites too when I was the first one over there in Bravo. Golly, the Sarah. Lucero. Yeah, you know, I had to run, do a lot of extra running after work to help her lose that weight, to help her make first run. And when she made it, I was like so proud of her. I, like I never, cause I never thought she was gonna do it. The only one I couldn't get that was King. I just could never get King to run with me after work. And, and I wasn't a runner, I, I, but I know I could beat her running. I could beat him running, but just to help them lose that weight. But yeah, when she, when she retired, I went to her ceremony. I was gonna go to her ceremony and that's when the pandemic stuff started and I dropped her gift off to her at, at her house. But I asked, the only way I found out about it, I saw her at uh, Razoo's. She was coming out of Razoo's and I was going in and she was like, you coming to my group's retirement ceremony? I was like, yeah, if, if they gonna have it. She said, I think they gonna have it. So she told me all the information. But yeah, she was, she was one of my, one of my good ones. I, I had so many of them though. I was like, I seen a lot of them that them that made first time so I made a lot of them. If you had to go live one year again, what 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 year would it be? You know? If I had to go to one year? Yeah, um, one year, one deployment or one one season again, what what would it be? You had to go live it again. You know, I think my best deployment was the first one I went to because I learned a lot of stuff like we 
it, it gave me that first real taste of that. In Haiti, it was like patrolling streets and stuff like that. But this one, I mean, we was kind of like right into it. We the, the thing that I remember about the first that one in Saudi Arabia, the first one in Saudi Arabia was when we drove through the five miles of death where they had all those cars on the road and we had to drive through with all those bodies in the cars and in tanks. And we went to that school where they had those kids stuck to cables and burn all up in, in their seats. And I think I, that was one I remember, remember the most. Cause I mean, I had some times like, you know, you pull a hot crew so many times and you pull a guard so many times. And, the one time I was like, man, it's, it's not going to be nothing. We ran out on ground, ground attacks. We thought we was having ground attacks. And so one time I had pulled a, we did a night move and I pulled guard all night. And when they call a ground attack, I just wasn't even moving. I just, I was just going, it was a scud alert. I thought it was a scud alert. So I went to the scud bunker. There's nobody there. So. I mowed them back to the tent. I really just care. I had my boots in my hand. I didn't even put my boots on. <laughs> so when I started over to my fight position, I heard somebody say, Verge, is that you? I said, yeah, that's me, man. He said, we having a ground attack and we've been looking for you ever. <laughs> but the funny thing was we, we thought it was a ground attack, but when it got up to the site where we was at, it was just a herd of goats. Somebody had did something and kick off their herd of ghosts and it was a big cloud of dust coming at us. And it was a it was a herd of goats. <laughs> so I, it was, but yeah, that was my favorite time. I seen so many dust storms in that when they had when they struck those oil tanks and all that black smoke, you couldn't even see the sun. I think that was my um, out of all my deployments, that was there's a storm was my my the one I was even though Iraq and Freedom was pretty interesting because I was in S2. So I did a lot of stuff with MI, those MI units. And it was interesting, but it, I didn't really, the only thing was like when I had to go to Cobalt Top, you know, to, to the place to pick up badges and all that stuff. So one day we was going up there and two guys got shot on the same route we was going on. Me and my captain was going into what was the, it wasn't Cobalt Tower. What was it at in Kuwait? Escom Village. Not Escom Village. But anyway, we was going back there to pick up badges and getting everybody paperwork done to get them place where they can get into places. And and just that day it was it was uh two sergeants got shot on that route going to the place. And we we didn't we turned around and then we were on our way back and then people got shot on the same route we was going on the way back. And I was like, man, I, we didn't know anything was going on in Kuwait at that time, but it was right there on the Persian Gulf. These guys came in off the Persian Gulf and killed those two guys. And, but I still think that there's a storm was, cause I saw a lot of dead bodies during that time. And then they asked for, uh, they asked us for, uh, when the war ended, they was asking us to go up to pick up POWs. And when we went up there to help them pick up POWs, we saw some of those Iraqi guys burning tanks and 
it was terrible. That smell, I can still remember that smell. But yeah, I think that's the one I remember more, Desert Storm. And a lot of stuff didn't happen during Desert Storm to us, but a lot of stuff did happen to the Iraqis and the Kuwaitis that a lot of people didn't know about that we saw. I mean, we the, if the POW camp, the Iraqi POW camp was like 500 meters away from our, our tax site. So we used to see them coming in by the bus loads. They, they had us going up there, picking them up on, in buses and bringing them back into uh, Kuwait and, and putting them in prison. So that was that was my, the one I can remember the most. You know, I had I, I had some crazy stuff happen doing a racket freedom, but I it just, just kind of like blew my mind. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about that. You want to talk about Iraqi freedom? What blew your mind? You want to talk about that? It was just some stuff that happened at the time about my bronze star and all that stuff. And I, I really don't, I don't want to talk about that one. Okay. So if you could, if you could talk to, you know, your loved ones about your time in service and what you uh, would have them think about you and your service to your country and your patriotism. What what would you tell your loved ones about about your time? I, I can assume you would say that you are proud to serve, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I tell my you know I tell all the guys like in my family that you know if they ain't going to college, it's like one of the best things to do. At least get the college money, and then you get the experience of being away and it's. Some of them need the discipline. Like for me, it was easy because I was so old, but I see guys that's come in and ain't never been anywhere that didn't have a clue of what was going on. I remember being in basic training that was, it was guys that didn't even know how to make a bed up and couldn't shine boots. And I was like, this is stuff is too easy. So I would spend time on, every morning it was my room, one of my roommates' name was Wright. I had to make his bed up every morning because he never could get it right. And I was like, I am not getting in trouble for this guy every morning. And then we had one reggae, he could not shine boots. He was sneaking smoke cigarettes and always trying to keep him out of trouble. So I think every all guys, and I mean, if they not gonna go to college, it's just an experience they probably need to go through and get that school money if nothing else. But yeah, it's, I, being in the army, it was like, you know, I hear my grandson, every, you know, anytime I go to the school with him, when he was a little kid, I used to go, I did a spring lunch and a fall lunch with him. I would take off and I would go down there and go to the school, go get him lunch and go to the school and eat lunch right there in the cafeteria with him. He was, it was just a proud thing for him to always say. My dad did, my grandpa did 24 years in the military. He said it every time I went to the school. And then all his friends would come sit with us and eat lunch with us. And because I always wore, either wore a uniform or either I wore one of my military hats, my personal hat or something. And he was always, all his friends would come and eat with us. But he still to this day would tell his friends that my grandpa did 21 years in Rome. So he tell me just a little bit about, go ahead. That's one thing he 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 really kind of looked up to me because I did did that stuff. Anything else he can care less about. But I used to tell him I played, I got picked up by the Astros to play baseball, and he was 
he can care less about that stuff. Oh, I want to hear about that. Tell me about that. I got picked up. I was drafted, but I went down there with my with me and two of my guys on the team with me made it. Got picked up, and I was I think I was a junior, and we uh, we went down there, and I didn't didn't bat. I was just playing shortstop, shortstop, and I called my mom and said I was I'm coming home. I'm not gonna make it in this. <laughs> And I got on the bus and went home. So, but, you know, I probably could have made it, but who knows, I, that just life probably wasn't gonna be the life I wanted anyway, baseball. Now it's a long season, but I was, I played when I was, we was, I think I was a freshman in high school. I think I played on the varsity team, baseball pitch. Me and my brothers, we can play any position on the field. We pitch, shortstop, first base, third base, you name it. Whatever you want to put us at. Center, I play center field, any part of the outfield. The only position I think I didn't play on the field was catching. I, my, I, I couldn't see myself wearing all that high gear all the time. But I tell my grandson, I could play some basketball, but baseball was my sport. We, 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 we taught ourselves how to play baseball. It was was three of us and we was all my three oldest brothers me and me and my three brothers two brothers we was all two years apart or a year and a half apart so we had a um we went to trial for baseball it was kind of like we broke the color barrier thing in marsh because it was a black park and a white park so nobody would go to the white park so we just decided one day we was gonna go trial and they, when somebody drafted us, you know, brothers had to be on the same team. You couldn't play on the opposite team. So after that, they asked us what position we wanted to play. We had no clue. They say, you want to pitch? And make a throw the ball so hard because we we used to watch a show on Saturday morning and when Nolan Ryan taught you how to throw different type pitches. So we had a tennis ball and a bat. One pitch, one pitch, and we call it, used to call it pitch. So as long as you bat and you hit, you keep bat. So once you struck out, then you had to go catch. And then the pitcher go bat, and the catcher go out and pitch. So it was just a thing we kind of like taught ourselves how to play, play some baseball. And it turned out that we, we played, all three of us could play pretty good. So I remember one time, my mom got me this time too. Like I was pitching, and my mom and the coach was taking me out to save me for another game. And I was nine years old, and I didn't. I was like, "Why is he taking me out?" I was just fussing. And he put me in center field and put my brother in the pitch. So on the first pitch, they hit the ball to me in center field, and I stepped out the way and let the ball go. And here come my mom on the field. She grabbed me by the little long ears and told me, go get in the car. You ain't playing no more today. <laughs> so, but yeah, we used to have some, some fun times playing some baseball. Even though when I was in high school, it was always fun to me playing some baseball. I, I stopped playing when we was, uh, we was at Fort Bliss and I was playing shortstop. And it was one of them years where it was super hot in El Paso, and I was like, man, y'all gotta find y'all a new source stuff. I am done. 
and I ain't played a softball since then. But yeah, that was that was our our sport. We we could play some basketball, but we foot baseball was really our game. I remember when I was playing basketball in high school, and I could me and my brother could play so good together. It just he knew exactly what I was gonna do, and and they cut him off the team, so I quit. I quit. I went home and I told my mom I quit. I like they cut Pete. I'm done. And she made me go back. She said, no, you're not going to quit. You're going back and you're going to play. So I ended up going back and playing with Dottie, but it was just so hard playing, not him, with him being on the court. Because we, all the way through, anytime somebody came and I, my dad always kept a goal in New York. So anytime somebody came to our house and played, they had to play against us. We didn't play against each other. And we just, we, I mean, ever since we were little kids, we always played together on basketball court. Cause he knew every like, a, if I make a fake, and he he knew I was gonna make that fake before I even made it. And I just understand when they cut him, I was like, I'm done. I know Pete ain't supposed to get cut, and I got my stuff and went home. But that's what kind of kid I was back then. I was. My mom, if she hadn't made me go back, I wouldn't have went back. I, I promise you I wouldn't have went back. I just went and played baseball. Because we did, I remember they was uh, trying to get us to run track and track was not our, our thing. We weren't no runners. And my sixth grade coach had us run to the track field every day. And he told us to run to the track field and still run to the track field. I ran down Johnson Street and went home. <laughs> so. My mom didn't know I was coming because, you know, at the time, I think she was kind of easing off on me because I got hit by, I got hit by a car when I was nine years old. And after that, she kind of like eased off on me a little bit. And I think that was the part where it kind of started turning around for me too. Not because my grandma used to tell me all the time that, boy, you got nine lives. You got hit, you know, did this, you know, did that. So at that time, I think that's when I started turning around and started being like a quiet person. I quit, didn't mess with nobody. I stayed to myself a lot. I, Cause I think, and I think that was a turning point for me to decide after that, when I got in high school, I would go pick my grandmother up every Sunday and say, we went to church together. And cause I, I tell people to this day, I have pictures hanging up in, over my desk and that's my guardian angel. Every time I look up, I know anytime something go wrong, I can talk to her. So she got me through a lot of stuff. And cause I remember when she died, it was like the worst day in the world for me. And I know that was the worst day, but I know when my brothers go, it's gonna be some more bad days. But we, it's, it's, we, we, even though we, we all don't live in the same time, we talk, we talk like we do conference calls as brothers, all six of us on the phone at the same time. So I know that's gonna be one of my worst days, but that day was was like one of the worst days I had, cause she died watching championship wrestling. She had a heart attack watching championship wrestling. <laughs> she just loved that, the Von Eric brothers. She just loved them Von Erics. And she, on a Saturday afternoon, she had a heart attack watching wrestling. And when I went up there, everybody was kind of like, it wasn't no big deal. And I was like, man, my grandmama just died. And everybody was at like the day of the funeral, everybody was partying. And I was like, I couldn't understand it. I went back home. I was like, I never, I didn't go nowhere for like two or three days because uh, 
I just didn't understand how everybody was just so easy with it. I was like, and now I understand, like when my mom died, she stayed with me and she told me all of the things like, don't believe me, put me on the machine, don't leave me on the machine. And when she died, it was just so easy for me. Everybody was like, he not crying. I was like, because I already knew and I saw it go through so much stuff and it just made it easy. So it was, it's it's a lot of stuff you go through that you, it take you a while to understand. Because, you know, I used to hear my basketball coach used to tell me all the time, like his knees. And he said, you keep on playing, Silk. You're going to be the same way. He gave me a nickname, Silk. And I never understood until I hit 40. I was doing a PT test one morning. And my, my knees locked up so bad. But I finished the PT run. But man, my knees hurt for like a week. And then from that point on, every run I did, people don't know, but my knees was killing me. And I never would stop. I just never would let a soldier beat me on a PT test. It was just one of them things I had when I was a section chief. I like, these guys cannot beat me on a PT run. I wouldn't let them beat me on push-ups, sit-ups, anything. So, but... He always told me, like, wait, see, your, your time coming with them bad days. And I found out because it's here. <laughs> I, I, was, I was trying to get my guide on them because, you know, my, my wife and everybody, when I made this a cowboy room, they moved all my military stuff out in the garage. So I had to take my guide on out the garage and bring it in here. <laughs> so while I was moving it yesterday and I was sliding the love seat out, and when I got ready to slide it back, something happened to my left side. I was like, what did I just do? <laughs> I, I pulled a strained muscle in my side, just moving the love seat yesterday. <laughs> We're getting old, man. We're getting old. I know. I've been, I'm, I'm over 60 now, so I tell guys all the time. I get out there in, in the morning and get my three miles in, but it, it, I, I feel it. Believe me. <laughs> she she over here bugging me. And did you eat your dinner yet? Nope, you gotta wait till you get your dinner, then I'll give you the candy. <laughs> nope, Caleb about that playing soccer. You better go get you some soccer in. You <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring you out there, you looking in the window. <laughs> so you're talking about how tough it will be when one of your brothers happens to pass away. Tell me about what your memorial after more memorial service after party is going to look like. What what do you, what are you hoping happens after your memorial service when the after party is going on? What music are they playing in the background? I have you know what I my my brothers know I love Fred Hammond, so I'm probably pretty sure they're going to be playing one of Fred Hammond's songs. That's one of my favorite uh, uh, gospel singers of all time. Either that or uh, who is the other guy? Uh, Rex Rex Ranch Allen. Yeah, that dude can sing too. But he just passed away. So, but they know I love Fred Hammond. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna play a, a Fred Hammond song somewhere. Cause you know I that's what I pray about. Everybody that's deployed overseas put that fence of protection around me all the time. Cause I know when I was in the military, or every time I was deployed, I know he was with me. Cause they you know I. Tell people I could, you know, every time I went overseas, I was always on on the ministry team. I never was, you know, with the chaplain when I was in 2-1. Every time, 
it, anywhere I went though with the chaplain because they saw, always saw me at church on Sundays and, and I would, even when we deployed, that's one thing I just didn't miss. I was, I don't care if it was in a tent or wherever it was, I was there. So they, I, I, they had Bible study at some of the most of the places we went. So I still did them even when I was overseas. And I, you know, I sent out a message every morning now, and that's where it started from. Um, I can't even remember the chaplain name into one, but you know, I remember when he, when I didn't make the eight list when we was in a ragged freedom, and he told me, he said, Virg, you must not be a part of the mafia." I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, the outer fence got a mafia." <laughs> I said, I didn't know that chapel. <laughs> but he, when he, when I got ready to go to help sit up that talk for over 343, we went, we all met together, me, the chaplain, and the brigade chaplain, and and he was like, we just want to pray for you before you get ready to leave. And that's one of the pictures I sent Vincent. It was just me, the S1, and the uh, brigade chaplain. That's right after we had prayed to, to go out. And that was right when the day before the war started. So, but that's where I wanted to send him that picture. But now, you know, like I, I was just, he had me sending out those messages when we got back to the States to everybody every morning. And now it's the list and grow so big. I have to get up like seven o'clock and to just be through about 8.30. And like when I do my, in the summertime, like it's hot now, I had to, I go run at six or walk, it's, I jog, I don't, you know, I ain't running. But I, I, I walk up uphills, jog down hills and, and jog the flats. So I have to start an hour early before I do the message because I have, and when I get back, I would never get through before eight o'clock if I didn't if I didn't go out early in the morning and get that. It's just too hot after ten o'clock. If I do it like I do it in the wintertime, I go exercise after I finish sending out the message and come back and eat me some breakfast. But uh, yeah, I I've been doing this ever since. That was in ninety. I want to say ninety eight. Colonel Brown was the first one to put me on the ministry team. Two, four, three, and every time we deployed, I was always with the chaplain. I wasn't even a chaplain assistant, but I did work with the chaplain everywhere we went. But yeah, that's one of the things. And now, if some people, if they don't get the message in the morning, they they call me like, "You all right? I didn't get my message this morning." I was like, "Man, can I take a day off? Can I sleep?" They worried in about you. Yeah, <laughs> can I sleep in one day? They worried about you, birds. They worried about you. But yeah, that was one of my things, though. I always, my grandmother always taught us that whatever you do in life, just always put God first, though. As long as you're putting him first, I tell people all the time if I, I don't, I know if I miss a day or something, I, I can tell. Like if I miss going on a Sunday morning, I, I can, I'm not good the whole day. Cause I feel like I did something wrong. So like now when the pandemic started, I was like, man, I can't get to church. And I was looking at it on Facebook and all that stuff was just not right for me, but it worked till I got where I could get back in. And like when we had this year, when we had the uh, pastor's appreciation and they had me to speak. And I was like, man, when I, 
when they say we would come make church, I was like, I know I'm gonna be safer here than I was anywhere else. Like, I'm safer here than going in Walmart and, <laughs> and HEB. Cause I know Pastor wasn't gonna do that. He was a retired colonel and he was a, a math professor at CTC for 20, 22 years in the army and 25 years at CTC. And I'm like, no, this guy is not gonna do nothing to get me in killed or anything. So I like I feel safe here than I feel in Walmart. But he was like you had you had to get your head temperature every when you come in the door. Everybody was in a mask. He had taped off the seats where people could something sit. Something happened. I've lost your audio. I've lost your audio. Did you touch a screen or hit something? Maybe. No. I don't know what happened. There we go. We got you. I got you back now. All right. But yeah, that's what he 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 was a pastor that I know that. He wasn't gonna do anything to harm people. And that's what I said. I was like, man, I feel safe in here. Then I do. And he had a saying he always say, I ain't talking about nobody, but I'm just saying what I'm saying. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that. I ain't talking about nobody, but I'm just saying what I'm saying. Say what I'm saying. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But he was he's he's a good pastor, though. I I enjoy going to listen to him preach. So before we get out of here and close this out, I would love it if I could get you to like report in, like salute and, you know, say, you know, first Sergeant Bird's reports and then drop your salute, call your unit to attention and then uh, sign out, you know, and then say, you know, first Sergeant Bird's signing out, something like that. Bird's seven out. Yeah, exactly. You know, Sil what Silkio Sil, you know, uh yeah, heck yeah. All right, you say I'm just gonna report. Yeah, yeah. So like like go to attention and then and then report, like like you're reporting to the board, maybe, okay? And then yeah. after you report, then call your unit to attention. All right. And then after after you call your unit to attention, then then like sign out. <laughs> I know it's it's hard. I know we can do it though. But you got that wonderful guide on behind you. Did y'all keep the motto "Lock, cock, and ready to rock"? I think we did. It's going yeah. on. Now. No, we changed to "Strike fast, strike quick." I love it. I love yeah. it. Changed to "Strike." That's what the commandment came up with. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. Let, gotta... let me see if I can get it far enough away to do it. Oh yeah, we good. Oh, yeah, Look at there you go. All right. <laughs> First round version point to the board. Better up ten. Huh. Very seven out. <laughs> oh Lord. Isn't that fun, man? Isn't it fun to call your unit to attention? Isn't that cool as crap, right? I love it. Yeah, you know what I see it all the time. You know what I think about that that memorial service of Sergeant Phillips. You remember that one? Yes, I remember that one. I, every time I see his picture, I think about that, man. And my, I just went to a, well, I was telling you, I went to my neighbor's funeral last week, about two weeks ago. He was 44 years old, man. It was like every time that Seven gun salute. Every time the gun went off, I could think about something. So I was like, man. But that was a. Uh, 
in my memorial service now they, they even get to me now because glenn was so young man I, it's me and his son would have so much fun he was like six or seven years old standing next to he would knock on my door and ring the doorbell and say mr curtis can you come out and play some kickball <laughs> i'm like 55 years old and talking about playing some kickball <laughs> so i would go out there and play with him and then when he got in trouble he would whisper to me through the fence like Mr. Curtis, hey, you got any candy? I said, so I would throw him a piece of candy over the fence. And when he take the candy out and he would eat the candy, he would politely stick the wrapper right back through the fence. He didn't want to get caught. Yeah. So when I walked into the service last week, he, he I heard him yell like, there's Mr. Curtis. And he come running, but he was an artistic kid. and those his parents wouldn't let him play with anybody in this on the neighborhood but he would always they would let him come to my house to play and you know when he was in school they had you know the parents had to have where they can't make it who they want as a guardian to come pick him up and they had me down to come pick him up and michael was he was my friend he's you know he's still you can tell he still got the illness but he'll be in high school next year and i was like man i am getting old <laughs> my grandson to be and him and michael was the same age and he'll be in high school and that we went everywhere together my grandson i was like and everybody asked me why i hadn't got rid of my red truck out there i was like because my grandson said he want that truck when he get 15 <laughs> so <laughs> when he turned 15 next year i'm gonna let him have it then i'll get another truck <laughs> So who who prays for you when they lay their head uh, on, on the pillow at night? Tell me tell me about the ones that, that that are around you that love you. Oh, I know my brothers too. I know my brothers and my wife and my grandkids too. My I think the ones the most is my kids though because they know all the stuff that I sacrifice so they could have what they have. You know, I always thought of them as like, and I from the day one when I my daughter was born, that I always wanted them to have more than I had. We I mean we weren't like poor or nothing, but we weren't the type of family. It was so many of us. We didn't get cars in in high school, and and because it was just too many of us, so we didn't we didn't have cars. But we had friends that had cars that we we rode with. But we always tell people all the time that we weren't rich, but we was rich in spirit and love because our dad, I mean, he knew everybody in town. He worked at the city of Marshall for 22 years. He worked at the bakery, baking bread and cinnamon rolls and all kinds of stuff. We used to go to work with him on Saturdays, but he knew everybody in town. And we know that, uh, when anytime we, on Sundays, I'm telling you, we used to have a yard and a house full of people to watch the Dallas Cowboys. And when the game went off, we all went to that yard and played football, man, until the sun went down. Uh, we didn't have a lunch, uh, we didn't have a washing machine and dryer at that time. So my mom, once that game was over with, we was headed to the laundromat. And, and we, we knew that was like when the sun went down, that was it. But 
we had so much friendship and love in that at that house, man. It was just people. On my dad's funeral, there was so many people there. I was like, golly, am I gonna be like that when I go? So that's when I always try to. He always told us, don't never treat nobody the way you wouldn't want to be treated. So that's the way it is, man. He when he cooked on Sundays and any day he cooked. He cooked enough for him. If somebody came to the house, there was enough food there for everybody to eat. You mean, we fed everybody. Like, when he made peach collars, it was one of our favorites. So if you wanted an extra bowl, you better get it when, as soon as he turned his head and go in the room, you better steal your bowl and hide it. Because if it was six of us, you weren't getting no seconds. <laughs> and then he would give everybody that came in the house, would come in and get a bowl and we just, but that's the way he was. He he fed and then he, my daughter, my oldest daughter, I can he tell you, he, when we went to El Paso, he, uh, she couldn't stay there because she had asthma because of the altitude and the elevation. So she couldn't hardly breathe. So I had to send her back to Marshall to live with my mom and dad. And he taught my daughter how to play dominoes. To this day, she played dominoes, shoot pool, and she on pool teams, domino teams. And he taught her all that stuff, how to play pity pack, Pacino, I mean, you name it. He taught my daughter how to play all that stuff. And like when he, I remember when he, he died, I was in El Paso and I had went home. And uh, he had came home, he was in a hospital bed at the house. And my daughter was, had to do some at the school. She was she was uh, working in the administration office at Texas Southern University then. And she was trying to get to Marshall and like he he passed before right before she got there. And I was like, oh Lord, he didn't make she didn't make it down here in time. So when she got out of that car and she found out it happened, she took off running. I was like, girl, what I had to chase her all around the neighborhood just to catch her with it and drag her down and like, girl, it's gonna be all right. It's just Everybody going to die eventually. I mean, and, and this time when my mom died, she said, don't you take my mom, my grandmom off that machine before I get there. I said, all right, but you better hurry up because I've been at this hospital for nine days and, and the doctor just told me she not going to pull out of it. So when it, that day they came in there, I mean, it was a room full of just nieces, nephews, and grandkids. So I left out and I was like, I can't be in there with them because they're they going to start crying and I, I don't want to cry with them. So I went out and sit in the car. And, but after that, they was all good to go. They said, we got in here before she, she went away. But that's where my parents were. They was, they always, they met, a lot of the grandkids said my parent, my mom and dad looked up to my daughter more than any of the rest of them. I, and they can say that because maybe she stayed there with him. I don't know, but I think I think she, my dad and my mom and dad always taught their their grandkids that all of them was equal. So, because he always taught us that way. But you know, I always had that hard head, like I was better than all of them. <laughs> and you know, when we was growing up, we never we we would call my. It was six of us, and still just saying, "Daddy." We would say my daddy, like he was just my daddy. He wasn't my other brother's daddy. So we would call him my daddy. And, but now we call each other my brother and, and my brother. So it's just stuff we learned <laughs> that we, we grew up 
with a, some great parents, I can tell you that, man. My dad was a hard worker. And when he when he stopped working, I could see it in his face that he wasn't gonna last long after that. Because everybody, and I, I promised myself, I wasn't gonna do that. I want to enjoy a little bit. So I like next week, man, next month, man, my grandkids get on the plane. We can go to California. This pandemic is over with. We're going to California. <laughs> and then it'll be my first time, my granddaughter's first time getting on a plane. So we we go, we gonna get on there. We don't do nothing but go to California. We going we getting on a plane so she can get that first flight in. My grandson, he care less. He just wanna go see my brother's dogs. <laughs> so first sergeant retired curtis verge yes sir you're you're a true uh hero uh true american hero dude i totally enjoyed spending time with you in service you were uh, a great friend to me, to me when we were in together in 2-1 and, and as the emo and different things. And then you took over my unit and was so gracious as you took my mess. <laughs> in two different times, you took my mess and cleaned it up for me uh, as I departed and went, went on. Um, dude, I love you, man. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Benson told me, I was like, sure, man. I'm Cause he said, you ain't gonna ask me why you need to call me? I said, no, cause I got pretty, pretty sure I didn't, that's what it was gonna be. Cause I, I found out he was doing it. So but yeah. me, I saw Joe a couple of months ago, you know, he had, when he had his neck surgery, I had hip surgery at the same time. And I said, I ain't gonna be able to make it down there to see you. Cause we both in the hospital. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, you're a true, uh, true great American, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. I love you, man. We're going to put right. the slideshow together and get it all together for you, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Thanks.